Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. On the next episode, you will learn about how this podcast came about. You'll also learn my history of podcasting and being in radio, how I got interested in radio. But right now, let's enjoy the episode with Montana Senator in the 44th District, Teresa Manzella. On this episode of the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast, Teresa Manzella was my guest. Teresa Manzella is a state senator here in Montana in District 44. We talked about a variety of topics, including how Teresa ended up in Montana, how she got into politics, her run-in with the animal rights activists, and we also discussed Zoe Zephyr. Also, Teresa and I discussed legislation that she tried to push through one of the bills passed, which was 518, and we also discussed Bill 250. Teresa and I also discussed my concerns about the state of Montana outlawing TikTok. We also talked about the grade that Teresa would give the legislature and the governor. We discussed very good topics, and I think that you will thoroughly enjoy it. In the meantime, buckle up for the ride. Teresa, I am very happy to have you as my inaugural guest. How are you today? <laughs> well, I'm happy to be your inaugural guest, Kevin, and I'll let you know that this is my first podcast, so I'll be taking my cues from you. I've done many, many interviews, but this is my first official podcast. Weren't you on with uh, James White, though, with Northwest Liberty? Yeah, I just don't think he refers to that necessarily as a podcast. I, well, yeah, I, that's true. He has a Rumble channel. Yeah, um, yeah. So, Teresa, let's learn a little bit about you, and then we're going to talk about uh, Zoe Zephyr, and then we will discuss some of the legislation that you have brought forth in this legislative session. Uh, where are you from originally, and how did you get into politics, and what brought you to Montana, and all those things? <laughs> okay, uh, life story in a thumbnail sketch. I'm originally from Michigan. I came to Montana in 1991 on a working vacation. I was sent out here by a friend who uh, had a, a working ranch as well as a uh, luxury hideaway, as it turns out. I thought I was going to be a wrangler on a dude ranch. Uh, that is my passion. Uh, horsemanship is my passion. And um, as I said, I ended up uh, working in a luxury hideaway and uh, could not wait to get home, to back home to Michigan so I could resign from my position at EDS and General Motors and moved to Montana in the spring of 1992 to follow my American dream of raising a fine line of uh, paint performance horse. And uh, that served me well. It was a very hard undertaking, but I did well in following my dream. And the results were 23 state, regional, national, and international championships in my chosen discipline of reining. A lot of people don't know what reining is, and that's okay. But uh, it's a very high-tech uh, technical sport, equestrian sport, the first discipline to be added to the United States equestrian team, excuse me, the first Western discipline to be added to, to the United States equestrian team. Uh, in 2008, when the economy tanked, I actually started a horse rescue, a nonprofit horse rescue, because I believe that as someone who makes my living uh, utilizing the animal, that I should be at the front line to help people and horses in times of crisis and at that time there was a lot of 
horses that were coming up neglected simply because people had to make hard choices to pay their mortgage and feed their kids or feed their horses. So I started a nonprofit horse rescue as a clearinghouse to help people rehome their horses. And that actually uh, is what catapulted me into the middle of a political uh, minefield that I didn't know existed at that time, which is the animal rights movement. And uh, it was the attacks that I received from the animal rights movement for being a professional horseman who started a nonprofit horse rescue that uh, actually caused my mind to go on tilt for a bit as I sorted through why in the world anyone would want to offer me death threats for being a professional horseman and also starting a horse rescue. Um, as I learned, I, I learned that the animal rights movement is actually an arm of the left and uh, there are extremists and radical uh, thinkers among them and they desperately tried to silence me and uh, you know I'm just not one to be silenced I, I, I it hurt and initially it hurt and I sorted my way through the hurt and got to a place where I kind of understood what was going on and and um, our local county commissioners watched me go through that process and they said, my goodness, if you can take that and remain graceful under pressure, then we need you in politics. And so they recruited me to run for the uh, state house in 2014 as I was first elected to the state house and served three terms there. And, and then I'm just finishing up my um, first term as a state senator. Um, now, so and there's a long story that goes along with that as well, but I won't I won't bore you with that. Well, <laughs> let me just say uh, congratulations for holding under the pressure. You have a lot of opinions, as do I, as do most Montanans, about Zoe Zephyr. Now, did you give a speech, or you? Because I thought you gave a speech, but I could not find it anywhere. Concerning Zoe Zephyr and yes. the podcast or the. Uh, transgender issue well i simply brought some legislation concerning parental rights in schools and oh so, okay so uh we're so going to talk about that later okay <laughs> not and, to interrupt and, you but we're, we're going to discuss let's talk about zoe zephyr really quick though and then i do want to get into the parental rights thing uh-huh um so here's my take on zoe zephyr i think that she he slash she is mentally ill from what I've read about her. And isn't it funny that the left talks about tolerance, but yet you saw the left get violent and this was all planned. There were seven steps on why, on how we know that this is all planned, but there were seven steps. And, you know, when the left talks about diversity, well, okay, but uh, what about Judge James Nielsen, or, or uh, Judge, Judge James Nelson, who said that uh, something to the effect of it's going to, we're going to have to fight to the death uh, against the legislature and the governor and attorney general, and then he was suggesting that we have uh, something to the, a jihad against the Freedom Caucus and the legislature for uh, trying to keep the courts intact or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But I find it very hypocritical that the left teaches 
diversity and tolerance, but gosh, if you go against their views, they're going to come after you, aren't they? <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's what I learned initially with my encounters with the animal rights movement. Uh, if anybody loves their animals, it's me who has made my entire life uh, working with my animals and my and my livelihood comes from my animals. But the left views me as a, uh, a problem, a, a problem I should not be uh, making a living from animals. I should not be riding horses. I should not be breeding horses. I should not be selling horses. So, so it's okay for them to rescue horses and to collect donations, uh, utilizing horses for that purpose and for, for making an income that way. But uh, capitalism basically is is wrong in their view. And and so that is that was my again initiation or my introduction into. Um, the left's mentality and their line of thought. And yes, uh, Judge Nelson uh, made a speech in the rotunda at the Capitol, uh, and he made repeated speeches, actually, and, and letters to the editor concerning the Freedom Caucus and the Republican supermajority and uh, the jihad that we were supposedly imposing on the judicial branch. And in reality, that started last session when the legislature caught the judicial branch uh, perjuring themselves. Uh, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't use a general term, but it was one particular justice that did perjure himself. Um, they were uh, adjudicating uh, bills amongst themselves prior to the bills being actually heard and presented in committee, they were determining whether or not, they were determining the constitutionality of a bill before it was ever presented or heard. And so they really overstepped the boundaries of separation of powers uh, between the branches. And uh, we, the legislature has basically been going head to head with the judicial branch ever since. And uh, that was uh, Judge Nelson's rebuttal. And he also promoted a bill um, uh, concerning initiatives uh, and referendums that did not pass. Actually, I said that wrong. There was a bill promoted that he opposed. Let me think about this. I think there's actually two bills. Uh, after you've heard a thousand bills, they all turned to run together, but there was two bills, one that he promoted that didn't pass and one that he opposed that did pass. So it's actually he that has a, a grudge against the legislature for passing legislation that he doesn't approve of. Yeah, by the way, Judge uh, Nielsen, Judge Nil is it Nielsen or Nielsen? Uh you know, I don't know. I'd have to look at it. I, I, think I Judge, thought it was Nelson. Yeah, okay. Judge Nelson is a former Supreme Court judge. I'm so, I, I said Supreme. Yes. He's a former judge. Correct. Um, so let me back up, though. What did the animal rights activists come after you for specifically? Uh, well, they didn't feel that I was qualified to rescue horses. It was, was what they promoted uh, to the county commissioners. And, you know, again... Uh, I deal with very high dollar, extreme athletes, um, and I am extremely skilled in uh, managing 
these extreme athletes and and know their needs. So you know, dealing with a rescue horse is uh, certainly within the realm of my skill set. And uh, they they didn't really they just didn't they did not like the idea of a professional horseman stepping into their turf. I believe it was more territorial than anything else. Um, you know, they make their money off of donations, uh, pulling on people's heartstrings and putting a, a sad, pathetic horse on the cover of uh, some magazine or in the paper and then, and then lambasting a citizen who might have fallen on hard luck and can no longer take care of the horse. And, and my focus was on keeping horses and humans out of neglectful situations uh, and heading those situations off before they actually got really bad. And that, of course, uh, I guess, kind of dipped into their, uh, you know, their donations. So something um, that you said earlier, though, they lamb blast a citizen that has a problem with a horse. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the, what, what probably happens is they say, oh, look at this citizen And so basically, never let a good crisis go to waste. Exactly. They exploit that crisis to their benefit, and they turn it into dollars. And the Humane Society of the United States is a perfect example. They give less than 1% of the money that they actually take in to actual animal care. And the rest goes to their administrative... uh, fees, costs, expenses, uh, the 401k is associated with that, uh, the advertising, um, you know, very minimal amounts go to the, actually go to the hands-on animal care. Was there a specific incident, though, that they were, they cited as to why they came after you? Was there something specific? Yes, there was. We had a bad case of neglect here in in the Bitterroot Valley. Um, I believe that was 2008. And it involved two men from Georgia buying four horses on their way from Georgia to Montana to have a father-son trip in the wilderness experience. And and, uh, the father had had some knowledge of horses when he was young and he seemed to think that he could um, uh, manage uh, for a summer with himself and his son and uh, you know lifelong adventure uh, in the Rocky Mountains of Montana and and uh, they were not prepared they were absolutely not prepared in any way shape or form they did not have the knowledge they did not have the skills and consequently uh, their horses became emaciated and uh, had they been reasonable people and accepted responsibility i believe uh, the county our county would have been merciful and and lenient on them but they they didn't want to do that they wanted to stand their ground and and claim that they were within their rights and and these and the one of the horses uh went down on the trail and he had four abscesses per hoof and and he was very malnourished and 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 abused basically you know they were they were using these horses in the mountain in the rocky mountains without shoes on their 
hooves. Oh. And yeah. And it was. You don't do it, that it, anywhere. Exactly. It did turn into a terribly abusive situation and, and it became a uproar in our community. And, and, and at that point, animal rescuers, as well as professional horsemen such as myself, were united in our efforts to, one, rescue the horses, and then two, try to talk some sense into the human beings that were that were handling them and owned them. And, and uh, when that became unsuccessful, well, then the, the sheriff stepped in and, and a court case proceeded and, and uh, they were convicted. Um, and I just kind of took my cues from that situation. Uh, it, it was immediately following that, that the economy tanked and then horses were coming up neglected all over the place. So I, have the skills to educate and to help people uh, rehome their horses. Uh, so I kind of created a clearinghouse for uh, people who needed to rehome their horses and people who wanted horses. And uh, and so that was, you know, that was the event that happened that uh, all of a sudden, you know, everybody was an expert except they wanted to discredit me in every way that So it was during could. the economy of 2008 when everything yeah. tanked. That's when they came after you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it it was it, yeah, but that was the uh the genesis was the, yeah. the that started that caused me to start the horse rescue was uh that case of abuse. But they were using neglect. that case to come after you, even yes. though it happened, what, in years before? No, it happened in 2008. Oh, and okay. I actually, I actually got my horse rescue up and officially a nonprofit in 2009. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Sorry yeah. to get off track, but I thought no, it was important. Um, yeah. So back to uh, this Lucy, or uh, I keep wanting to call Zoe. her Lucy. Zoe. <laughs> I know a transgender girl named Lucy. That's why. Back I to see. Zoe Zephyr. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's interesting that the liberals use tolerance unless it fits their, or uses violence and talks about tolerance. But, oh boy, once uh, you go against their views, it becomes approved speech and a good example and I'm paraphrasing here, but um, Zoe said something, you know, I hope that for those of you that voted for this constitutional or for this amendment, uh, Bill 99, SB 99, that you have, you know, when there's an invocation and you bow your heads, that there's blood all over your hands. If type that off with James Nelson's rhetoric. And the violence that happened in the chamber doesn't sound like tolerance to me. Sounds like approved <laughs> speech. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely premeditated and planned. It, it, I will correct you, it wasn't a constitutional amendment. It, it was a bill, Senate Bill 99, yeah. which was deemed the Youth Protection Act. And what that bill does is it prohibits um, gender-affirming care in Montana for minors. And uh, as we went through the process and learned, gender-affirming care has no mental health component to it. It's it's all about uh, puberty blockers and uh, across hormone therapy and uh, 
surgery. And we've learned that there are many medical institutions that are simply rushing these minors into surgery. Uh, and the, uh, the case studies and the reports, the peer-reviewed science and reports will tell you that 80% of children that, that go through puberty and have some gender confusion will just automatically, naturally grow out of it if they're just left alone. Uh, and a lot of these people, these young people aren't even getting given the opportunity to have mental health counseling or grow out of it. They're just rushed to these surgeries and um, the side effects on these puberty blockers and the cross hormones are just terrible, life-threatening and life-changing forever. Irreversible damage is being done. So we determined that the state has a compelling state interest in protecting our minors as we do with uh you know gun ownership uh driver's license drinking age no different than any of those um and uh, we passed senate bill 99 and that was that was the bill that of course uh zoe slash zach zach was his name before yeah, zachary rash mm-hmm Right. That was the bill that he was specifically talking about. And his timing was terrible because uh, it came just very shortly after the uh, shooting. Oh, uh, that's right. The transgender shooting, going into the Christian school and shooting the three youth and the three teachers. Yeah. So uh, uh, that was really poor timing for him to you know, threaten us with blood on our hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to yeah. give props to the legislature, but here's my, or to the, well, to the governor, to law enforcement. Uh, it was obviously pre-planned, but here's my viewpoint on, and maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. Uh, but my view is if you want to do this surgery, after 18, although I've read reports that if you really want to do this surgery, you ought to wait until you're in your 30s, correct? That's what I have read. Right, right. The brain continues to develop uh, on our youth until, you know, 25 years old. So, uh, so yeah. yes, I So agree. if you really want to wait, if you really want to wait till you're 25, 26, 27, whatever, okay, go ahead and get the surgery, and at that point, if you're a man getting this surgery, I would be happy to call you a woman, even though I don't agree with what you're doing. You're mm -hmm. an adult. You can do that if you wish. But for heaven's sakes, don't make me or any parents out there force their children to get this surgery, whether they're under the age of 18, whether they're a youth or a child, when they're, like you said, your whole body, mind hasn't even developed yet. Right. And right. you uh, you said, and I've read this too, that there are, I don't know all the uh, effects yet. I haven't read it, but yeah, I've read that there are people who get this surgery when they go through puberty or before that uh, there are some serious consequences and become they become very suicidal. Yes, I have uh, recently read a peer-reviewed peer study that has indicated that 
the suicidal tendencies uh, come predominantly uh, seven to eight years after they have actually received the surgery and transitioned. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough yeah. about it. I've tried to do is uh, I've read uh, Matt Walsh's book, What is a Woman? And then another book by Abigail Shriver called uh, Irreversible Damage. I'd highly recommend both of those to anyone who is interested in learning more about it. Um, what we're seeing is, is uh, the uptick in the number of people who uh, align as trans is a little bit disconcerting, uh, quite frankly. And it's referred to by psychologists and psychi psychiatrists as a craze, whereby uh, it's happening in high schools and one young person decides they're trans and then for whatever reason it becomes um, sort of a, a, a rebellion. Like when I was young, the rebellion was anorexia and uh, bulimia, uh, eating disorders. That was a way, and some kids went as far as to cut themselves, as, and it was kind of a, it was a form of rebellion uh, against things that they couldn't control and their their families of origin. And, and now it seems to have uh, escalated and manifests as this trans craze and somewhere they're being taught that their uh, sex is on a spectrum and they can be part male and part female or if they choose to identify uh, as a cat or a furry well they think they, they can do that too and it's it's quite frankly in my opinion uh, delusional and insane yeah yeah well um well, let's let's talk about your parental rights bill, and then I want to talk about TikTok, if you don't mind, because I know that yesterday the legislature or the governor signed a bill to ban TikTok in the state of Montana. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's talk mm -hmm. about your parental rights bill. Go ahead and explain what that's all about. And did it did it pass? I wasn't able to figure that out. Yes, I'm still waiting for the governor to sign it, but I believe he will because his. Uh, his office helped with some create some of the language and and uh, so his fingerprints are on it so I believe he will be supportive of it but uh, so yeah parental rights um, uh, I created uh, last session I came with Senate Bill 200 and got that passed and that's what I called the initial parents bill of rights which uh, gave parents a cause of action whereby they can sue a government entity, of which a, a school is considered a government entity, if, if this school uh, trounces their parental rights. Fundamental parental rights are absolutely fundamental. And I, I think we're in an era that our founders never anticipated where uh, their parental rights would be uh, challenged by schools um and they are consistently so so we put that in place last session and then this session we specifically went into uh parental rights and education in detailing 
those parental rights in education and, and what they specifically look like. And the one that uh, Zach slash Zoe took exception with was my Senate Bill 518 that um, uh, uh, if a if a child, if a minor child wants to use a name or a pronoun that does not align with the sex that they were assigned at birth, uh, by and you know uh, a name given to them by their parents, then the parent needs to give written consent for that, and. It also went on to protect a teacher's right of conscience that a teacher may not be compelled to uh, call a child by a name or a pro pronoun that does not align with the child's sex if that, uh, if, if that teacher's sincerely held beliefs are offended. And uh, that actually has been adjudicated by the courts in all over the country now. Uh, you cannot be forced, a teacher cannot be forced to utilize uh, pronouns or names uh, that do not align with the child's sex. If the teacher does not want to recognize them as a male when they were born female, then they don't have to. Um, and so we just put that in Montana code and um, the bill did several other things as far as helping uh, parents um, become more engaged with their school system and understanding the curriculum, uh, being able to remove a child from any, uh, any presentation that they feel is unhealthy or that they deem inappropriate. Uh, and it, oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry about oh, that. Okay, something changed there in the in my headset, so I didn't know if you were still there or not. But anyway, so yeah, that's what 518 did, and and uh, that was the bill that they were in debate on when uh, Zach punched in and wanted to speak, and the speaker had already told him that he simply needed to apologize for his prior uh, offenses on decorum and and if he didn't want to apologize that was fine but he would not he would not be called on until he apologized to the body and that is you know that's normal you know the rules of decorum apply to all of us and when you've accidentally made an offense because sometimes we do get heated and passionate and say things we you know might not necessarily mean or or not as civil as we should be, then we come back and apologize. Well, uh, Representative Zephyr refused to do that, so Representative Zephyr was not called on during the debate on 518, and that's when the rally slash riot, which as you've already determined was well premeditated and planned, uh, erupted, and the house had to be cleared, and the SWAT team brought in <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I read, although this was about Bill 250, another bill, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I don't know, did that one ever go through or not? No, that one, we missed that one by two votes, and that was the Safety of the Child First Act, uh, and that was specific to um, family court and the rules of evidence 
uh, and the use of experts uh, and protecting children in family court situations when there's a highly contested divorce. And uh, that's another that's another big long story. I'll be happy to share with you if you're if you're interested. Well, let me, okay, so, well, help me out on this and set me straight here because I read some commentary. Mm-hmm. And Wendy McCaney, I think, was the person who opposed it because my understanding of this bill, this is where I need your assistance here. I guess some, I guess in the bill, CPS could not come into a home unless there was a warrant, Correct. Uh, that's another bill. That that was uh, that was a different bill. Oh, and that one, I believe that one got vetoed by the governor. Uh, I oh, support okay. that wholeheartedly, but um, the governor did veto the that. Yeah, you know, Montana is one of the highest states in the union for child removals, and it's hard to make me believe that our parents are the worst in the country and warranted for child removals, quite frankly. Um, so we're tr- we did a lot of CPS reforms and we're trying to elevate parental rights in all across the board, in schools, uh, in under CPS situations, we're trying to restore per- parents' constitutional rights. And just like uh, law enforcement needs a warrant to enter your home uh, because the Fourth Amendment provides you constitutional protections in your person's places and uh, papers. Um, you know, they should have a warrant if they want to come into your home uh, and, t- and take your child. Uh, and yeah, so that was the point of that bill 250 was specific to trying to get um, the judicial branch some federal grant funding so that they can receive training on some very complex um, domestic violence and abuse issues known as parental alienation and uh, parental alienation is often used as a legal tactic in a contested divorce whereby one parent says that the other parent is alienating them from the children. And um, sadly, this, this becomes really twisted and kind of hard to explain, but oftentimes it is the abusive parent that uses parental alienation uh, as a legal tactic against the safe parent. And therefore then the result is that the abusive parent gains custody of the children through this legal tactic. And they can then continue to perpetuate the abuse on their ex through something called domestic abuse by proxy. The abusive parent, when they no longer can abuse the the ex-spouse, they will turn their abuse on the child because they know that's how to hurt the ex-spouse. If you can kind of track that and make sense of it, it's pretty sick and twisted. Yeah, so basically, if uh, the 
horse couple's divorced. Yes. And the man's got custody. I'm just going to use the man because that's who we hear about the most. The man has mm-hmm. custody of the kid or part-time custody even. And mm-hmm. he abuses that child on the weekend. I think that's what you're referring to, correct? Right. Or right. the would, wouldn't even have to be abuse. It could just be, oh, your mother did this. In other words, trying to pivot the child between the two parents and making them believe that they have to pick sides, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And sometimes it does escalate. And there is a federal law that was passed in 2022 called Caden's Law. And uh, Caden was, an, I believe she was a nine-year-old girl who was murdered by her father in under that scenario, whereby the mother had been telling law enforcement and everyone and family court and everyone she came in contact with that the father was abusive and the daughter was in danger, but he had custody of the girl and he ended up murdering her and so it's not just montana this is a this is something that's going on nationwide and it's kind of a sickness and a sin of the flesh if you will and mm-hmm. and uh we were attempting to address that and we came within two votes um and unfortunately uh that ha- that bill was heard the same day as uh, my other bill, 518, and that was the day of the riot. And then the house closed down for two more days of business because of the aftermath, trying to sort that all out. And in the process, 250 was, uh, Senate Bill 250 was lost. We we uh, ran out of time uh, to get it reconsidered and, and passed. Let me ask you this. I don't want to go into conspiracy theory mode, but maybe we should. Maybe it's not a conspiracy theory. It might be a conspiracy theory. Do you think, well, obviously, Zoe Zephyr knew that these bills were going to be debated. So do you think the riot was planned to distract everybody from these crucial bills? And maybe she had a plan? Uh, it's entirely possible. I, I believe that it was premeditated. I believe that Representative Zephyr uh, esteems to hire office, and that's pretty evident now. You can see pictures of him uh, in Washington, D.C. with uh, the squad, and uh, they're using it as a, as a fundraising opportunity. Uh, I think it's important that Montanans, that the normal everyday Montanan, recognize that uh, Representative Zephyr is becoming the face of the Democratic Party. And I don't think that the majority of Democrats in Montana will approve of that, or, or at least it will be interesting to see how they do handle this situation because um, – Representative Zephyr is certainly capitalizing on that opportunity. Yeah, so let's go back to uh, Bill 250 that did not pass, fell short of two votes. One of the, okay, I believe it was uh, that, yeah, okay. So I think it was Wendy McKinney who said that uh, CPS should be able to come into your home. uh, And I guess one of the reports that I had read 
is, oh, oh yeah, okay, I remember. Wendy McKinney basically said that abuse takes place after hours. So they, sh and it's, it's true if CPS were to, if somebody were to know that CPS was coming over, uh, if they were smart, they would not do the abuse that day or make everything good and make the house clean and all those things. So what would you say to that? Because I do find that a valid argument, I hate to say. Well, there were provisions in the bill. I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but there was a, a discussion over what a reasonable uh, reasonable time frame was, reasonable notice of uh a time frame, and I, I, I don't specifically remember what that was, but I, I felt that they just simply. My reading of the bill was they couldn't show up unannounced, but yeah. they could certainly they could certainly call and say we're on our way, um, and uh, they don't need to be showing up in the middle of the night. They simply don't need to be showing up in the middle of the night, unless there is. Uh, evidence uh, that the child is in imminent danger. And uh, there are provisions and carve-outs uh, to make appropriations for, for those circumstances as well. So um, we, you know, it is very, it's a very fine line. There's no doubt it is hard. We need to protect children and we need to protect a parent's fundamental rights and you need to find the balance, but um, we've just heard too many stories and of children being removed unnecessarily, uh, needlessly. There are there's a, a lot of case study out there to show that uh, children left with a moderate parent actually there's better than children that are traumatized by the removal and placed into the foster care system. So, uh, you know, we hope to create a circumstance where CPS is acting um, along the lines of a customer service representative to say, are you on hard times? Can we help you get some resources uh, to help you put food in your pantry to help you um, address the fact that you don't, your cars broke down, you know, just, just any number of things that the state could do to assist and offer assistance short of taking the children from their homes. And in the process, then you begin to build a relationship between the department and the parents. And that gives, uh, the department more opportunity to actually see what's going on within the family and make determinations as to whether or not uh, the child is in imminent danger or not. And of course, there's lots of mandatory reporters out there as well that are required to report if they see bruises or if the child reports abuse. Uh, teachers and doctors and counselors are all mandatory reporters. So um, it is, it's a difficult situation, there's no doubt. Uh, but we feel that over the past several years, um, we've just simply had too many removals. And it was, I believe it was 2015, where we had 14 children in foster care die um, in the foster care system. So 
There's no easy answers, uh, but respecting a, a parent's constitutional rights, I believe, is uh, is something that we have to do. Well, I think it's interesting that the bill comes at this time. Are you familiar with the Baby Cyrus case in Idaho? Yes, yes, right. Is that what inspired Bill 250? No, no, okay. again. I didn't think no, so. I just wanted to make no. sure because it's interesting that it's coming at, on the heels of this case. Yeah, no, this is something, if you do some research, you will find that uh, children are removed from their homes through CPS way, way, way too often, and our citizens need to know their rights. Uh, we, I served on that interim committee last session, and uh, we had Wyoming come in. That's the, the uh, bill to create a warrant required for removal came from <clears throat> Wyoming. That's the way they do it. And their system seemed to be much more constitutional than our own. So that's where, you know, that's how we adapted and, and uh, arrived at, to create that bill. Uh, I can't remember the number of it. I'm sorry. So let me bill. ask you, uh, let me run a story by you and then ask you a question. I believe it was probably, well, it had to have been in the late 90s. I know a blind woman who was raising a kid, and I don't know what possessed her neighbor to call CPS, but she did, or he, or whoever this neighbor was. Mm -hmm. And CPS came over and basically said that well, I guess they had a, a the social worker just was very helpful, uh, paid for this blind woman to have toys for her little girl to play with and gave her even some tips on how to raise a kid as a blind person, which I thought was really cool, especially since mm -hmm. the social worker was cited. Mm -hmm. Are these the exceptions to the rule or was CPS more willing to do things like that back in the late 90s or was did they the social worker have more empathy because the person was blind or what's what do you think happened then versus now well i can't probably comment on that with any level of uh intelligence or accuracy because i wasn't involved in politics at all in the 90s but uh you know that's the kind of behavior that we would hope and expect our our social workers were providing uh now if you use my example um with the horses uh, and what i received the treatment that i received from the animal rights movement and i've always said if, if somebody wanted to hurt me they would do so by hurting my horses you know or, or or taking my animals away from me and and i don't have any of my own children so you multiply that times 100 you know to having your animals taken away from you versus taking having your children taken away from you and uh you can imagine that it's going to create an adversarial relationship um so but i think it's just based on the the individual that you're dealing with. I think that you need to look at the administration. Of course, uh, in Montana, for the past 16 years, we've been under a socialist uh, governor and, uh, and therefore the agencies tend to, that's the type of people that they look for, that's the type of people they hire. 
um, for the positions. Uh, you know, some of these people intend to do well, and but they're just, uh, you know, maybe they have a like a God type syndrome uh, complex where they feel like that child should have the absolute best of care and maybe the parents aren't able to provide that. Now, I like what the example that you just gave, I, I appreciate that very much. And, and I do know people who have good stories to tell about CPS and we can't overlook that. Um, but I've also heard just just an awful lot of the uh, the crisis stories as well. Uh, like one family recently lost their home, uh, which was a rental, because uh, the loft that their children were sleeping in didn't have an adequate railing, according to the CPS worker. Well, in that circumstance, with housing as hard to find as it is, why didn't we simply help create a railing that was safe. Um, seems like that would have been a much better solution in that circumstance than putting a family out on the street, right? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So just things like that. We, yeah, it's, it's a complicated scenario for sure. Well, it's personal to me because... I haven't told you this, Teresa, but I am a blind person. Okay. And I don't uh, hesitate to mention that on the podcast. But I remember, well, I don't remember it, but I remember parts of it. I do remember hearing, though, uh, my parents were very worried about me because I wasn't talking very much at age two and a half. And so we were living in Oregon at the time. So my mother drove clear across the state of Oregon to take me to Salem. Mind you, this was back in November of 82. I believe it was. No, it might have been December. I think it was after Thanksgiving of 82. Anyway, um, I went there for two weeks. Wasn't allowed to see my mom. And I do remember parts of this, uh, probably because it was so dramatic. I remember crying a lot and wondering where my mom was and... I even remember, and I don't want to get too deep into this because it gets way off topic, but I remember specifically one night I kept waking up because somebody was touching me. I don't, not inappropriately, but just on my arm, or, and it felt like my mom. But I was moving around, couldn't find the person. Now, it could have been somebody was just making sure I was okay, making sure I was alive. Who knows? But my mom tells me a story, or told me a story because I was allowed to be reunited with her on the weekend during that two-week process. And I don't remember this, but my mom told me that as we were driving from Salem, Oregon to Vancouver, Washington, which is right over the border, my apparently I was pretty upset and rolled down the windows of, or rolled down my window. I don't think we had electric windows back then, at least our car, but we, I rolled down my window and just started screaming and throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. Cause I was probably mad at my mom for leaving me. I didn't know what was going on at the age of two. Uh, I just knew I wasn't around. She wasn't around. So, and then she told me that I was 
I we went to a Christmas program at our church. Uh, I happen to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. I'm not going to promote that out here, but just to put things in perspective, my uncle was in, you know, his ward, as they call it, had a Christmas party. And according to my mom, I was crying during most of the party, so she had to take me out into the parking lot. I don't know how she had patience to put up with this, but uh, I guess according to the story, I was she was trying to comfort me during this whole, most of this Christmas party. And then uh, I guess after the two weeks, she said that I'd had enough or whatever, and they released her. I hope that this can go on today, but I'm not sure. Some of the horror stories I'm hearing about CPS, certainly the baby Cyrus issue, that makes me wonder. What Do you think that uh, the CPS would be this lenient today? And Now, I know CPS wasn't involved. It was the Oregon School for the Blind, but they could have called CPS. I hope that... Uh, this would I hope that this would still happen today where they just let me go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh that is what the legislatures want to impose on our Montana CPS is that uh family reunification is absolutely primary and that the that the family keeping it intact is uh we have we have statutes on the books that actually speak to the fact that that is the primary goal um now i'd be remiss if i didn't tell you there's there's financial um incentives for the <clears throat> for the state agencies to remove children they are funded for the removals from the federal government um so that is a factor in the equation um and yeah, so so you need to factor that in. You probably have read the Communist Manifesto. Uh, a long time and, ago. Yeah, so Plank 10 is all about uh, free education, a free public school system for all children. And the goal is to separate children from their parents. Um, that's concerning, extremely concerning. Uh, it just comes down to the people that you have working in your administration. Each person can be a rock star or they can cause a lot of problems. So um, you want to have yeah. the right people in leadership and you want to have the right people employed. By the way, for those of you that don't know who Baby Cyrus is, you're going to have to look it up because I don't have time to explain it. But I do want to talk about one other thing well i guess two other things the tiktok issue governor greg john forte yesterday signed a law that will ban tiktok in the state of montana i have concerns about this legislation it sounds good on the surface but the concern that i have is if we get a governor in there that doesn't like rumble doesn't like bitchute doesn't like band.video you name the alternative platform to youtube or doesn't like certain podcasts, it'll be very easy for that governor to set a precedent of, okay, well, we banned TikTok, we'll, we'll ban this, we'll ban this. And it starts out by something really innocent. And I understand why people want to may want to ban TikTok in their states, but let's, let's not 
forget the warning bell here that one thing can lead to another like that song by The Fix that came out in 83. <laughs> yeah, that I originally intended to vote no on that bill as a supporter of uh, free speech and the First Amendment. But as I went through the process of learning the ownership, that that company, the parent company of TikTok is owned by uh, the CCP. Um, and we believe that it's a data mining company. Uh, uh, organization, uh, as is so many of the social networking uh, platforms now. And so he did just send out a letter, uh, I saw, just read it last night, that actually expands the <clears throat> uh, number of platforms. Any, any platform that has, that a, it is owned by a foreign adversary of the United States, he is banning the use of on any state devices um so does that include rumble though because that's in canada well they're not an adversary yeah no it's uh specifically russian and uh china uh foreign adversaries uh and uh yeah and then as I'm starting to learn what about something called the fifth generation warfare, uh, still very new and, and early in the infancy of my knowledge, but the social media platforms are being used by our, by our uh, adversaries for the purpose of data mining. And, you know, we each have a, 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 a portfolio on us so they know all about our likes and dislikes and and what we drive and do we own or do we rent and what's important to us and do we believe in God are we secular uh, and those clues they can build a profile on each of us based on that information to know basically how we're going to vote and okay so let me play devil's advocate here don't companies like Facebook and doesn't the NSA already know that information anyway? Not to make light of it, but it's already happening with or without yes, uh, I, uh, TikTok. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's voluntary. People uh, will argue that they should have the right to make their own choices. And I, I can't disagree with that. Facebook is owned uh locally by you know an american-owned company and obviously mark zuckerberg uh, i would argue is is an enemy of uh our constitutional republic if you're a conservative uh he, he infused uh millions of dollars into buying our elections uh in the in in 2020 um so but yeah so it's simply because they're foreign-owned. They're owned by a foreign uh, adversary. That's the reason that I was able to support it. We also passed a bill that limits uh, a foreign adversarial country from owning agricultural land. That I am or, in agreement with. Or land that are close to our uh, military installations. Uh, so yeah, you know, this is what war looks like in 2023. We are 
in a technological war, I believe, and we need to recognize it as such. There's no blood and there's no bullets, um, but it is a war to take over the sovereignty of the United States and force us to fall in line uh, globally. That's that's my that's my opinion. That's but aren't you worried, though, that this does set a president, a precedent for somebody, uh, let's say a liberal governor, who doesn't like some of these alternative platforms? That they, Oh, well, we banned TikTok. Let's ban this platform. Let's do this. Where does it stop? Aren't you worried about that? Because we've already, now we've started the president like a bowling ball. It's just going to keep going and going and going and going and then hit the pens and, uh-oh, we're screwed over now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too worried about that because I believe that the legislature will step in in circumstances where it's a uh, locally owned platform uh, and put the brakes on those types of things. I think that we would be foolish not to address uh, companies owned by our foreign adversaries. So, um, so yeah, it's something to definitely keep an eye on and to continue learning about i'm not i'm not particularly worried about it myself but wouldn't this isn't this a little dicey though because i don't know what mark zufferberg's investments are but what if he is invested in a foreign adversary what do we do then how how, how, how where do we take this uh well i'm delighted that uh i'm working very hard on election integrity and people are becoming engaged because they recognize that if we don't have fair and free elections, we have nothing. Our fair and free elections uh, is the, our ability to vote on people that we uh, elect to represent us is our contract with the government that uh, allows them to, to in fact govern us and so we've got to have the fair and free elections so uh, focusing a lot of time on fair and free elections and people are engaging and it's going to be up to the citizens to engage with their government and to become the watchdog of their government and oversee their elections and make sure that the process is transparent and auditable uh, for many, many years, we've been leaning towards making it more convenient and uh, same-day registration and uh, easing the uh, citizen requirements and the voter ID uh, <clears throat> uh, verifications, and those are steps in the wrong direction. So uh, that all kind of falls under the banner of getting our citizens re-engaged with their government and help and, and kind of uh, uh, in, encouraging or in some case forcing them to become engaged with their, with their government. Well, let me run something by you real quick, and then uh, I want to ask you one more question. Now, if you don't mind, stay with me after the podcast. I want to talk to you real quick. Um, I was listening to Glenn Beck yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now, I did not catch a special. I do not subscribe to the Blaze. I'm not going to get into why. But there's a reason I don't. But he was talking on his radio show about how uh, the way that we can get involved in saving this country, and I don't want to get too far off topic, 
But we need to each call the district attorneys and the attorney generals in our states and talk about the Hunter, the Biden family, and I guess I guess there's been crime all in each state. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's going to solve much of anything. Yeah, you might get floods of phone calls in, and we might change a few laws, but I think what's going to change, if this country's going to change at all, that's another topic, um, I think... It's going to have to be neighbors, defending neighbors, and people standing up and being the watchdog. What do you think? Is Glenn Beck off, off the rails here or what? Well, there's a saying, all politics are local. And uh, as a Republican, as a conservative Republican, I believe in local control at local levels and, and local government. So that's, again... Oh, I do too. We... It corresponds and correlates with what you've just said. Uh, we in Ravalli County are organizing teams and groups of people that are going to county commissioners meetings and making sure that uh, they're abreast of what's going on at the county level uh, because that's where you can have the biggest effect. And we want to make sure that the people we've elected to represent us are actually doing their jobs and re representing our views and beliefs. And uh, so I would, we happen to have a good attorney general in Montana at this time in Austin Knutson. He's mm -hmm. a fighter. And uh, I believe that he's representing, uh, representing us well uh, and fighting for us. Uh, but as you've said, you know, that changes, every, that can change, has the opportunity to change with every election cycle. So, um, yeah. Uh, but people, do you think, though, to... I don't think calling the attorney generals in the states are, is enough. He made it sound, and again, I guess there's a whole 25-page document, but it just seems to me we're going to have to get our feet on the ground and uh start doing this i don't know that calling the attorney generals is enough or will solve much of anything do you well they can network amongst themselves there's an attorney general association and and it's an example you know our attorney general has teamed up with several other attorney generals from different states in our region to do basically like a class action suit uh one on the keystone pipeline um Gosh, he's got like over 30 of them now against the Biden administration that he's uh, working on. Uh, so I do think, uh, you know, everything kind of starts at the ground level and goes up. And and uh, if there was enough attorney generals in the representative states to say we want the Biden administration and the family prosecuted, then, yeah, I think that. I think that that could very well work, but it is going to take a tremendous amount of public outcry uh, to make that happen. I guess I'm looking at it from the standpoint of the Baby Cyrus case. You know, CPS released Baby Cyrus from the hospital because there was enough noise being made. Ammon Bundy was holding press conferences every day. Well, no, it was Diego Rodriguez. I'm sorry. I, I know Ammon Bundy was probably there. Mm -hmm. But it was Diego Rodriguez. No attorney general was called. No state legislature, to my knowledge, was called. Uh, as far as I know, it took people being in the face of CPS. Now, no violence. I don't condone violence. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, 
it was that. No, I don't think I don't think a whole bunch of calls to the attorney general would have worked. I think, you know, you've got. Uh, I don't want to be a huge advocate, but you've got people's rights out there, and they can come to your defense. It just seems like that would be more effective to me than calling a whole bunch of attorney generals. Now, I didn't know about this network that existed or that mm -hmm. does exist, mm -hmm. but uh, what do you think? I think it's probably going to take both. People have to people have to engage. They have to, and, and they cannot be easily dissuaded because there are uh, people in the administration were all, quite frankly, overworked and overburdened. We're being attacked on a number of different fronts. So you have to pick your battle uh, and you have to stand firm and find ways to uh, execute your mission and, and not take no for an answer. Uh, and that's, we've got several different child advocacy groups and family advocacy groups now in Montana that are doing just that uh, to help we legislators understand the issues that they're seeing and the cases that they're handling on behalf of uh, uh, parents uh, who are being taken advantage of by CPS. So it, 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 we just have to get ourselves organized. We've been asleep at the wheel. We expected the government to honor its constitutional uh, commitment to us, and they haven't. There's just a tremendous amount of overreach that's taken place over the years. We've all become complacent. They no longer teach civics and, and government in school. Uh, that was done deliberately by design. Uh, so yeah, people, people now have to uh, equip themselves and find others who are willing to stand with them and, and, uh, and, and yes, I agree with you. Them. I would even say members of my church need to do the same thing. And yes, I will say with some research, our church has been infiltrated by socialists. I'm not just saying that either. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm uh, talking about professors at Brigham Young University and in certain mm. local buildings. Yes, we have, as a church, have been infiltrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you this real quick uh, before we end the recording here. What grade would you give the governor and the legislature this year? It sounds to me <laughs> like we have a pretty reasonable governor. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'm very happy with the the advancements we made on pro-life. I think that's probably the most important issue to most uh, Christian conservatives, people of faith. Uh, we passed some fantastic uh, pro-life bills. Uh, we did a lot of CPS reform. Um, we did do some tax reform. People will be getting tax rebates, uh, so that's kind of exciting. So I would probably give the uh, governor a B, a B, B minus okay. maybe. I think we had a little bit too much spending myself. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more money go back to the citizens in the form of rebates. Um, uh, but yeah, so I'd give him a solid B. And the legislature... Um, we again we made a lot of advancements on everything i'm not happy with 
uh, election integrity. That's that's my area of passion and interest. And we didn't do enough for election integrity. We did do uh, some, but not enough. If you want I, to, uh, we can do another podcast on ele- uh, election integrity. That's a good topic. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. We're working on it real hard. I'm working on it real hard. And uh, we just simply don't know what's available uh what what technology is capable of these days and yeah let's do another podcast on that i don't want to keep you here forever and ever and ever but one last question before i end the recording what do you like about being the state legislator and i guess now you're a senator what do you like about that well it's an honor to uh represent the citizens um it's a very hard job. It's it's the hardest thing I've ever done because of the fact that there's just so many different aspects that go into running a state and you're expected to know about all of them and it's pretty much an impossibility to be competent on all the issues affecting a state. And when you get a call from a citizen who needs your assistance, well, then you're, um, you're obligated to try to help them navigate the system. Uh, and that's where your education comes from. So you must have a servant spirit. You absolutely have to have a servant spirit to do a good job at being a citizen's uh, representative, a citizen legislator. And uh, I think I have that. Um, uh, So I like that. I love the communication I have with the citizens. I love learning from them about the things in government that we do right and things that we do wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, but it is, it's a—it's definitely a hard job. Getting five people to degree on anything is difficult, let alone 150 legislators. You know, we're all, we all think we're uh, the cat's meow and we're all uh, class presidents. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> yeah so so it makes it for an interesting dynamic um but yeah Uh, all right well stay with me real quick i'm gonna end this recording and i will talk to you later i'm going to try and do a podcast every saturday now i may not be recording every saturday but i will try to put one up every saturday at uh, either 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock mountain time i haven't decided yet In the meantime, folks, I will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Don't forget to check it out on Facebook at Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone. Also, you can check it out on Twitter, Truth Social, and Getter at R-K-Y-F-R-E-E-D-O-M. That's R-K-Y and then the word freedom. All one word, no commas, spaces, dashes, or any of that. Just R-K-Y and the word freedom. If you want to make a suggestion as to who I should have on or just make a comment, you can email me at RockyMountainFreedom at ProtonMail.com. That's RockyMountainFreedom at ProtonMail.com. Thank you for listening.